hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Broderson and Jasmine Allnut, and we're on Women Worth Knowing, mm-hmm. and this is one of Jasmine and my favorite episodes to do. Yes. Why is that, Jasmine? Well, Cheryl, it's because we're not just talking about women worth knowing from the past, like women that are dead, long gone, <laughs> but women that are alive and serving the Lord now and seeing God do great things. And even better than that, We've got a live one in studio. Yes, we do. We're not just talking about her. We get to have her with us right here in the flesh. One of the things that's really exciting is we had Leona Carney, and that was— Oh, that was awesome. —amazing. But Leona is in her 70s. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we can relegate it like, oh, you have to be older. But yeah. We've got a youngin. Yes, we do. we got a young one. <laughs> and in studio with us, and I'm so excited because she's one of my favorite— favorite young women. And I've known her since, I think I met you when you were three or four. Oh, wow. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were you were by the pool and Twin Peaks and with your little sister, and you were just so beautiful and so darling and so excited to meet my children. I had my daughter and I had this hyperactive son, and I was so worried about what my hyperactive son might do or say to you girls. I'm like, oh, the illusion of being a perfect parent is all going to be over the minute this child moves. <laughs> um, and I remember you you and your sister are just so sweet. And I think I fell in love with you that day <laughs> and haven't stopped loving Sarah Yardley since. What a a lovely introduction. (laughs) I'll I'll just say, one, I'm a listener to this podcast, which is is a fun thing to be on when you listen to. But two, that hyperactive son and I sat by the fire last night and just spoke about Jesus and the long walk of grace in our lives. So no, three-year-old me was not dissuaded. uh, (laughs) I think you might have still are friends with I think you were four and two, and I think Char was three. I think he was right in between you and Kristen, of course, being five. She was the older person in the group. She was always trying to tame Char. And so if he is— tamed. It's his sister. It's really his sister, um, which is so exciting. So Sarah, God has opened so many crazy doors for you. Talk a little bit about where you're at right now and what you're doing. Absolutely. So I've just been here in the States for a a short-term on sabbatical, but I'm going back to the UK, and it's been six and a half years that I've had the great joy of living in England. I can't believe it's been that long. It has flown by in so many ways and in other ways stretched my heart (laughs) unspeakably. So I live in Cornwall, which is this beautiful southwest part of the country of England. We've got castles and coastlines and also some of the most significant poverty of anywhere in the country. So those two extremes. And in my life and work there, during the normal non-COVID life, whatever that (laughs) looks like, we put on a large-scale festival. And the heartbeat of that is just inviting people to know Jesus and inviting them to meet Him in as creative a way as we possibly can. So there's standard kind of gospel preaching and phenomenal music, but we also do skate parks and bonfires and barn dances and art expressions. And it's been such a great joy to just see people use their gifts of creativity to display the story of the God who loves us. Um, So that's what we get to do when it's a normal time with large scale. But let's talk about that just a second more, because I don't think people realize how large scale that is. So how many visitors do you have? 
So usually. for the last few years, we've averaged just over 2,000 campers That's and then great. just over 10,000 day visitors who come through. Mm-hmm. And because of the dynamic of it being a holiday location where people are just coming to be carefree, we get a huge dynamic of visitors who are not yet followers of Jesus. So it's been genuinely a great way to watch people explore faith for the first time. I mean, one of my favorite, favorite stories from the last couple of years is just a surfer who was on his way from London to Newquay and while driving past the showground where our site is, just felt this urge to come and drive in, Mm. walked in, heard the gospel being preached, went forward, gave a gospel invitation, and then looked at his watch and said, oh my goodness, I'm so late for surfing. My friends are going to wonder where I am. Just getting saved really quick. Yeah, exactly. Just sorry, (laughs) quick detour while I meet my Lord and Savior. Um, And just there's been some extraordinary stories of not just those sort of miraculous moments, but also long walking towards Jesus with families in the UK. The event has existed for 20 years. So an event of that Mm. scale, though, takes a lot of planning. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a huge execution. Huge. It takes a lot of planning. And, you know, because we believe that everything good comes from relationship, Mm. it takes deep relationships. So one of the early decisions around this was that we're not just going to parachute in and do an event and then parachute back out again. Mm. Um, So since the beginning of it, there have been those who have lived in England and just been part of the culture and the country. And even though it is the same language, as George Bernard Shaw said, we are separated by that common language. Uh, And Jasmine can speak firsthand to that as well. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and isn't that cool? Like you said, relationship. And that's sometimes not a very American way to view things. We just want to get in, get stuff done and go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So it, it has been, it's been such an investment in that country. And I think one of the beauties of that as well has been seeing God in the unexpected details, because so often, and we, we love the stories of the big moments, the surfer who meets Jesus while driving in. Amen. Let's celebrate that. Um, but so often the way we've seen God at work has been in our contractors and with our vendors and meeting with the showground. The showground manager, one of the ones who I was quite close to, he's, he's actually no longer living. Mm. Um, but when he was managing the site for five years, he would walk in the shed and we would have a night often of, of worship music happening. And he said, I I know that you'll say, Sarah, what you'll say, but I'm still going to tell you this. When I walk in and this music is playing, there is a presence here that is unlike any I have ever known. I can't explain it or quantify it. I still Mm. want to be an atheist, but I walk into this place and I cannot explain to you the presence that I encounter here. And I think there's just so many of the behind the scenes details with months of preparation where you just get to see people encounter the presence of Jesus. Mm. And I love too that you work with so many people who live in Cornwall and live in England so that it you might have started out, you know, kind of a, a collaboration of American and British, but it's actually more of a British festival now mm. than it is American. We're the guests. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's been no secret whatsoever about that aim being that it would be given over to British leadership completely. So I consider myself half British, although my accent's quite poor <laughs> and I still drink as much coffee as tea. So I'm still on the journey. That's okay. <laughs> I know. I know. The real aim is that there would be those within the country who would own it completely. And that's awesome. so much of the missional heart isn't it, is to say, how can we give away what God has given to us and how can we see the gospel transmit across cultures? It is not a a cultural moment, um, but how can it be relevant in the place that it's at in its own particular way? So beyond the festival too, because I interrupted just to talk about the greatness of the (laughs) festival, but there are a lot of doors that have been opened to you. I mean, 
you've gone to college. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. And I think you're ordained, aren't you, by a certain organization. Yes. Whether we believe it or not, it just happened, right? <laughs> so over the course of the last few years, there's been a few different amazing doors that God's opened. And one of the first ones was, was just the, the opportunity to begin preaching regularly. And there's a whole theological journey I went through around that. And mm-hmm. um, it's probably not the time and place for this podcast, but... What has really been a beautiful picture and one of the reasons I love this podcast particularly is recognizing and walking in the legacy, not just of the woman of scripture, but the woman of history Mm, and proclaiming the gospel message. And when you go to a place like England, the reality is there's so much history and so much structure and procedure that a little bit of the grace that God gives comes as you submit yourself to the processes that are in place. Mm. So the three particular accreditations that I have <laughs> is I went to St. Melitus and I received a degree in mission ministry and theology. Mm. I would say that I am non-Anglican in my theology, but being trained by an Anglican school gave me some phenomenal doors with the Church of England. Mm. And they have what they call a generous orthodoxy. And I love this idea that let's just as much as possible, know what we believe, but open our hands to everyone who loves Jesus as much as we possibly can. And so um, training there was both stretching for me in many ways, but really beautiful. And the second thing I have is that I am a canon of the Church of England. So it's actually, it's a non-ordained position. It's almost like God made this really peaceable little loophole (laughs) for me. Is it like a deacon? Uh, it, it's it's slightly different in that the Church of England says the canons are those who exhibit the quality or the rules of life in a way that models excellence for the church. So I'm what's called an ecumenical canon. I'm one who holds together that balance between knowing what we believe and also opening our hands wide to the Church of God. So I am canon Sarah Yardley, and I pull it out pretty much as a as a uh, joke with friends, but it really is my formal title. And then third. Thirdly, and again, miraculously, this is non-ordained, I am a Methodist local preacher. So the local church I attend in the UK is a Methodist church. And John Wesley, who began this beautiful revival 300 years ago, he believed that both men and women should preach the gospel, should both be trained to preach the gospel. So for three years, I went through a training program with my local Methodist church, and I just received that accreditation of Methodist local preacher all of which have just been a, another way for peaceable sharing of the gospel in that country. I love that. Sorry, that's just kind of like a, she's like a modern day version of some of the women we've talked about, really, that did the same thing, that the Lord encouraged them to go and preach just as much as the men. And it's really about walking through open doors. Yeah. And I think that when God opens a door, you walk through it. And I think it's disobedience not to walk through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if God opened it, Let's walk through it. Yeah. What I find interesting, too, is when I lived in England, I found that many of the Methodists I talked to didn't know their history. They didn't really even know about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I was really shocked. So I would think in that, and same with the Anglican or any organized church, probably a lot of Calvary Chapel people who don't know now because we're moving into the third and fourth generations of this movement. But I find, too, that you are a Christian and you're almost like an evangelist going into those places and saying, this this is Jesus. This is relational. Absolutely. And I think in many ways that beautiful list of the fivefold giftings in Ephesians 4.12, you know, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In so many ways, one, I kind of had in my head that that list was just for men. Mm. No one ever said that, but right. I yeah. had somehow assumed that. 
And so exploring what those fivefold giftings mean within our communal life in the body of Christ, I realized that if the evangelist is the one who looks at the table and says, oh, there's a few people missing, how can I find the space and make a tear and make the (laughs) gluten-free meal if necessary? How can I ensure that there's a space at the table for anyone who's hungry for the gospel of God? If that's what an evangelist is, then I am that all day long (laughs) uh, with or without a microphone. So I love that. So we're talking, you know, you're in England. That was unexpected. I mean, when you were a little girl, did you ever see yourself living in England someday? It's so interesting, isn't it? I think God whispers these beautiful desires into our hearts. Oh, I love that. But if we tried to imagine how to get there, mm-hmm. we would build ourselves quite janky roadmaps to them, and, and mm-hmm. the way he has is so mm. much better. I've always loved Britain. I don't think I even would have dared to dream that I would live there. I mm. One of the first books I read in full as a teenager was Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> uh, went on my first trip there as a teenager and just absolutely fell in love with the country in many ways. Is that with Creation Fest? No, mm-hmm. I, I went on a, a history tour as a homeschool student, which of course everyone who's listening knows that now that everyone's homeschooling, it is the coolest yeah. thing in the world, but it, especially was in my teenage years. Um, I visited uh, a number of different churches that were there and a number of historical sites, but didn't really have this England is the place. Actually, if you had asked me, I envisioned myself in a third world country. Mm. I spent years learning Spanish. I thought it would be a Spanish-speaking country. And I probably thought I would run an orphanage of some sort just because I, I love family and children and reconciliation. That would have been my dream for myself. Uh, and and the path God took me to England was so unexpected. And yet, exactly like you said, there were open doors that if I had not walked through, it would have been disobedience. Mm. So, Sarah, when did you start feeling like the call on your life? Because there is this sense of call. You know, there are people who serve God. You know, all of us serve God in a call, and every call is different. But the call to the singularity of ministry and and that's the call that you have. It's the call that Jasmine has. It's the call that I have. I mean, I was a mom. I, you know, worked other jobs. I taught school. But mainly the singularity of serving the Lord in this capacity. When did you begin to feel that call specifically? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. I've probably answered this question different ways over different times. So if someone ever hears me give a different answer, it's not conflicting. It's just <laughs> yeah. that there's many strands said, to the yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up here at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, I had such an anchoring in Scripture. And church was always my favorite place to be. (laughs) I I loved coming and opening God's Word and spending time in it with my family. A a friend paid me a compliment. He said, you've navigated Sarah more change than anyone I've seen, and you've done it without cynicism. Mm -hmm. And I loved that compliment because— I've not ever somehow been cynical about the local church. It is my anchoring place. And I've also never felt limited by my local church. Mm-hmm. It's it's always been a place where I've thought the doors were different when I was a younger woman, but I was never held back mm-hmm. from being fully involved in many different types of ministries. So in some ways, the call simply came by being part of a healthy local church where I went 
with Red Wagon to be part of Feeding the Homeless. And (laughs) I taught vacation Bible school from when I was 12 years old. And I was part of the prayer ministry teams. Just wherever there was an open door, I stepped into those open doors. Um, But the call to England was actually really particular. And the unusual part of this story is that I was called to live in England when I was already in England. (laughs) So... (laughs) I had come over to be part of this Creation Fest festival for seven summers. And as I came over, what God was doing was training me, but I didn't realize I was being trained. And on that seventh summer, I flew over with my little single summer suitcase thinking I would be there for six weeks. And I love that it was the seventh summer. (laughs) Interesting. Not only the alliteration, but the number. There's all these prophetic Mm -hmm. edges, and I find more of them (laughs) down the line. This is the coming seventh summer, so we'll see what God does there. I was there and landed and woke up to the news that the previous leader had passed away quite suddenly. And I think many of those who are listening will relate to, if you've seen a charismatic, dynamic leader, it is hard not to compare to that leader. Absolutely, yeah. And this man, his name is Phil Petronas. Incomparable. Yes. (laughs) Incomparable. Very unique. Yes. (laughs) So unique. None like him. (laughs) And so we, we literally thought this is the end of this ministry because there's no one who can step into his footsteps. And two weeks later, as we're preparing to both have our final festival and honor this man really well, I went to do my daily Bible reading, and I went to Plymouth, which is the place where the Mayflower oh, yeah, set sail. Really yeah. uh, it was the only place I could get to on a bus, and I didn't have a car. <laughs> and I was reading in um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, and it says, God's calling is on you from the coastlands, from the body of your mother. He has named you by name. He's made his word in your mouth like a sharp sword. He's called you to bring light to the nations and mm-hmm. salvation to the ends of the earth. And I wrote in my Bible, God, are you calling me to Cornwall? Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) And one week later at the festival, someone I hadn't seen in years came and asked if they could pray over me and prayed that exact passage of scripture word for word over me. And then I came to see Brian Broderson and said, I think I'm meant to stay in England. And actually, at first, he just was very quiet and have loved my time at Calvary Costa Mason and was not eager to leave that. But he came back later and he said, Sarah, I affirm that. I believe this is where God's calling you. And not only that, but we're going to support you as a missionary, which, of course, the logistics of how I was going to move, I hadn't tackled too many of yet. And so I ended up that summer just staying. And I had a six-month visa, and I had already split my job into six parts, and those people just picked it up. And I messaged my sister and said, congratulations, you get to keep my car for longer than just six weeks. And as a single woman, I had the freedom to be much more flexible than I would have otherwise. And I called every member of my family as well. And family can be a complicated thing, but my family all affirmed the call of God on my life to stay in England. Wow. And my mom even said, the Lord already had told me. And I said, I wish you had told me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just, just there was that beautiful triple confirmation from every member of my family. And, from my and at this point, did you know that you would be the director of that? Or this was just, you're just going to serve and help? No. In, in many ways, the logistics worked out over the course of the next six months and over the course of the next few years. Because as we've discussed on this podcast, and as we know from being in ministry, there's the beautiful glory moments where God speaks, and then you find yourself in Launceston with no winter clothing (laughs) and no friends. And 
the churches are not your home. And so so there are the other sides to the story where I needed to continue to lean into the faithfulness of Jesus because it was both more beautiful than I can put into words and more challenging. If I had known at the time all that would be included, I might not have so readily said yes. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that true? I think all of us feel that if I had known the cost ahead of time. Um, And yet, you know, when you're in it, um, the Lord is, he's he's so with you. He gives the grace. He does. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I I found too is that, um, and I think we talked about this, Sarah, that there's almost a romance in being alone. Brian travels a lot. There's this spiritual quality that is so high and so beautiful and almost poetic of that intimacy with the Lord, of just leaning into him. And this last year, more than any other, just the intimate presence of Jesus has been so sweet. And I remember hearing people speak about that and and thinking, well, how do you get there? What do I do? And it is just spending time. It's both so simple, and yet it takes our whole lives. And I was thinking, there's a friend of ours, uh, his name is Bill Welsh, and he's the pastor of a church here in Huntington Beach. And I saw him on this trip home, and when he says the name of Jesus, he weeps. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I love this beautiful picture of the fact that I think I love Jesus so much now that I can't imagine loving him more, but I'm watching friends who are still ahead of me. And just when they say the name of Jesus, they weep. That's the long direction I want to be in, that mm-hmm. I, I know and love him more and more as time goes on. So mm-hmm. Sarah, when I'm hearing you, I'm, I'm sensing this thing, this kind of this theme to your life. If God opens a door, walk through it. And you're you're really pretty much still at that place, aren't you? Absolutely. And one of the things I love is other people often name over me <laughs> what the true story is because I'm 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 beautifully unconscious of the story God is writing. Because you're just walking through the door. You're just, you're just doing it. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm so I'm so uh, clearly walking through it that I didn't realize. Oh yes, that was what happened. So I'm I'm going to spend some time pondering that. But I would say absolutely that is true. And one of the real themes that's come out this last year for me in that is that. There's the difference between humility and insecurity. Mm-hmm. So humility is a beautiful thing. And the the humility that we are called to in Christ, I want to be a humble leader for my whole life. But there's an insecurity that sometimes says, oh, well, I don't know if I can open that door. And maybe they won't like me in that room. And, and God is not glorified in mm-hmm. my insecurity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I have realized is where God's put doors in front of me, I have walked through them. Mm-hmm. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are anointed often for more than we would ever dare to ask for. Mm-hmm. And also that doesn't just look like platforms and stages. It's so important to say some of my most beautiful moments for this past year have been the intimate conversations I had a friend who I've walked with for a number of years. We had several suicides in our community. Mm. Mental health and that challenging area is up 300%. Mm. And she called me and she said, I don't know why, but all I know is when I'm in this time of weakness and wounding, I want to speak to the Christians because they carry peace. And she looked me in the eyes and she just said, Sarah, tell me what you believe happens when we die. Mm-hmm. And we had one of my most beautiful gospel conversations for the whole year. And it came out of what we've said before, both relationship yep. and the fact that in that moment, there was the confidence to just walk through that door and speak of this revelation of the God who in his presence, her tears are wiped away. 
that there's a radiance in knowing him, that we're invited to an eternity spent with him. There's there's this beauty to the gospel, and that's the invitation that I love to give every day. I love that difference between humility and insecurity, and I think that's I think that's so so wisely put, because you and I were talking on another occasion, and we were talking that whenever we speak or whenever we have the opportunity to speak, for me, it's a death to self. Um, it's not like, oh, I'm going to speak and. And then I always leave the platform, and I have to just give it completely to the Lord. Yeah. Otherwise, I will be condemned. I will yep. just, oh, why did I say that? And why did I do that? And I know Jasmine has this problem, too, because oh. she's often apologized to me after she yeah. speaks. Like, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry. And I'm like, it was so dynamic and so great. But it really is a death to self, isn't it? Yeah. I think for all of us, and I think that people don't realize it, it's, it's not a vaunting thing. It's it's a humbling thing that Lord, you're you're greater than what people think about me, mm-hmm. and I'm doing this because I love you and out of obedience to you. And maybe it will help just one person. Mm. I like the humility aspect as well, kind of like what you were saying about it's not just the platform stuff. It's like that's such a beautiful story of you getting to share with that that gal, and and even just thinking of your your story in general and how you grew up just serving in whatever capacity and how the Lord built that into you, whether you realized it or not. Like, I could just serve the Lord in any way. I don't have to be up here in front of everybody. And sometimes people get that thought, like, well, I have to attain to these things instead of serving in the simple little behind-the-scenes ways and how powerful that is. You know, it's interesting because I know this is one of your heroines, too, is Patricia St. John. And we had talked about on one of our podcasts, we did Elizabeth Blackwell. And both of them, I found it was really interesting. They both loved church. They loved going to church. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, because that's something that you said. And I, as a girl too, I absolutely loved going to church. I went to public school and I felt like church was my refuge. Like this is where I can be absolutely 100% myself, where I didn't feel that at public school, but at at church, that's where I can be myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is where I'm loved. And how important for the church to give out those love vibes. You know, especially to the young people, instead of saying you're a nuisance or you're, you know, why are you talking or why are you doing that? But just to show that love and that patience, because you might have a Sarah Yardley or a Patricia St. John or a Elizabeth Blackwell. So what's the Lord doing right now with Sarah Yardley? So literally, as soon as we finish this podcast, uh, (laughs) or or rather tomorrow, I'm on my way back to the UK and it's been Mm -hmm. glorious to be here. But I've really felt strongly that I need to be in the place that God has called me to be, even though we're we're going back into another season of lockdown. And the, the word he's given me around that is that in order to continue to hold authority in the time of blessing, I can't be absent in the time of wounding. So good. Wow. And so there's just going to be those moments in the next few months ahead where it will be in the quiet place. And everything we've just been talking about and everything I know both of you model with your lives is uh, that there's so much of the quiet places, of the intimate moments. I have written in the front of my Bible, it is worth it for one. And when I moved to England, I had to live that out. I I literally had one young woman that I mentored after mentoring hundreds. Mm. And it just reshaped my heart to say, first of all, and, and primarily, the, the reality of my own personal walk with Jesus is the focus of God's heart for me. He doesn't love me more or less depending on how much I'm ministering and who I'm winning or how many likes I've gotten. We say it often, <laughs> but I think it must in this generation be said over and over again 
that our intimate and personal relationship with Jesus, all true ministry is going to flow from intimacy. Mm. And so I think that is one of the key things that I'm leaning into for this chapter that's ahead. And secondly, we we just had a, a conference with missionaries from all around the world and was just really inspired to ask for a gospel creativity for 2021 and beyond. Mm. Let's not do things the same way that we have always done it, but where things feel like some have shut down or locked down or closed, there are still so many doors that are open to us. And so the way I've been thinking about it is, what is the maximum that I can do for the gospel that honors my country and honors boundaries and honors all these things? But what's the maximum I can do to share the gospel? And then how can I do that? with as much excellence and as much creativity and as much joy as possible. Um, Because particularly in UK, the stereotype is that Christianity is old, cold, dead, and boring. Yep, old people. And some of the churches have reflected particularly that cold part quite well. (laughs) And so I I think there's just such a significant opportunity to portray a faith that is alive and dynamic and joyful and based on the intimate presence of Jesus. And there's some open doors ahead for that that are particular. And then there's a few more that I feel the blank canvas is there and the Spirit's going to draw some lines and I'll walk through every door that's ahead of me. Well, you know, you think again, going back to Wesley, that he was called the enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was because of the joy that they were enthusiastic about the Lord. But I I agree with you. It comes right back down to personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It really does. And I don't think we can stress having a personal relationship with Jesus and that anyone can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that that's and that's the important aspect of everything. So, Sarah, well, you're going back to Cornwall. We mm-hmm. will miss you, but we're so um, excited that we had this opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Because Jasmine and I really think you're a woman worth knowing. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. It's that's been a right. tremendous honor. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.